Hello everyone, producer Soph here. Welcome to part two of our USGP experience. Uh, This episode is a little bit more similar to our race recaps. And make sure you stick around for the end because the ladies get into some W Series commentary that we've been sort of itching to get around to for a while. And it is a really lovely conversation, Um, probably one of my favorites that we've had so far. So make sure you stick around for that. Also, there's a surprise at the end of the episode if you stay till the end. So thanks for listening. It's Lights Out, and away we go. So it's been a few days since we recorded part one of this episode, Mm -hmm. because as it turns out, having attending a GP less than a week before Halloween was kind of a lot schedule wise. And those of you who don't know, Halloween is how how do we say it is Kate's (laughs) Super Bowl. This is her time to shine every year. Uh She doesn't, she gives no faffs about Christmas uh-huh. or Flag Day or Memorial, or like Flag Day, the second most important ho- holiday on everyone's <laughs> calendar. Um, you know, like Arbor Day, she could do it without. However, Halloween, Samin, All, All Souls Day, uh-huh. All Ghouls Day, uh-huh. however, the Dia de los Muertos, however you choose to, to uh, se- address and celebrate the season, uh-huh. that is one that is near and dear to dear Kate's heart. This is true. Um, Kate, could you share could you share with the group how you and producer yourself decided to celebrate the lovely holiday in, in such a seasonal fashion? Yes, absolutely. Well, so we had I had a, a series of celebrations, which was what made both scheduling uh, and also just living my life in general somewhat trying <laughs> this week. So sure. we returned from the GP. We recorded very late on Wednesday. And then on Thursday, producer Soph and uh, podcast boyfriend and I all went to a haunted cocktail soiree event in Manhattan, mm. um, which was very mm. fun. Can you wait, wait? Can you can you share what you were dressed up as? Yes. For said, yes. On Thursday, said gathering podcast boyfriend and producer Soph were astronauts, and I was an alien. Mm. How how Katy Perry's E.T. of you. Yeah. Well, you know, like all things I do, <laughs> it was inspired directly by Katy Perry. Yeah. And then on Friday, I frantically sewed my costume for Friday night, <laughs> mm. which was on myself and podcast boyfriend went as Daenerys Targaryen and Khal Drogo from Game of Thrones. Ah, yes. I loved I love podcast boyfriend's hair extensions for that one. That was my personal favorite. Yes. Well, what's great is that he wore the hair extensions on Friday night and then I wore the same hair extensions last night because in fact, they're just my hair extensions that I've owned for years now <laughs> that I clipped into his head so that he could have nice long Khal Drogo hair. We love. We went out on the town in Manhattan on Friday night. And then last night on Saturday night, producer Soph and I hosted a Halloween party at our house. We did a haunted B&B theme for the event. <laughs> this is amazing. I didn't realize it was a haunted B&B theme. Yes. Well, it all started because I bought a lovely bouquet of flowers when you visited like a month and a half ago. Yeah. And then we just watched those flowers slowly die since then. Oh. And then we were like, you know what? We can turn this into a theme. Oh, I so love it was it. like, you know, Tower of Terror lobby, decrepit hotel oh. vibes. But yeah, we hosted a very fun Halloween party last night. I went as Shigo. Producer Soph was Kim Possible. And then <laughs> and then uh, podcast boyfriend was Dr. Draken. I love it. I love it. Soph, you should, uh, you should become a full on little redhead. Not not your purple Lewis Hamilton hair. You should <laughs> go full full red. Yeah, I I did like the red. I I was into the red. It was very cute. She had a, yeah. she had Lewis a Hamilton. Icon. That's funny. People did. I, I did have like a couple people that were like, "Is your hair purple because of Lewis Hamilton?" And I was like, "I didn't think about this." No, I mean not. they're not remotely the same tones as no. Lewis's purple, but no. okay. <laughs> 
just completely different colors. And also you were ironically wearing a McLaren hat most of the time that people asked you that. So you're like, um, no, actually. But yeah, so those are all of our Halloween plans. So as you might imagine, uh, slightly run down, delicately hungover, but, you know, happy to be here. Ready to talk about the USGP. Do you actually, sorry, can I just make a comment really quickly? You so, so kindly put it delicately hungover. My, uh, uh, Mike, my father, uh-huh. you know, father of the pod. Uh-huh. The pod father, if you <laughs> Yesterday will. Yesterday when I, the pod father, oh, he'll love that when he listens to this. <laughs> um, <laughs> he, he made a comment yesterday being like, yeah, I mean, what was it like? That's your brand. You, you pair your Sundays with a delicate little hangover. <laughs> And Formula One, what a lovely existence to live. And I was like, yes, father. Yes, I do. That's our, our brand. Yeah. I'm obsessed with that. I love that. It's true. It is It is true <laughs> that pretty frequently, that's that's how I'm making my way through my Sunday. We're getting older, so. <laughs> we are getting older and our body doesn't process alcohol in the same fashion. Yeah. Um. But anyway, yeah. So I think it's, uh, thank you for catching us up there. I did not have the lovely amount of outfit changes that y'all had i just worked and then read a book <laughs> so, <laughs> very intellectual very happenings anyway shall we yeah i think we shall let's uh let's get into the on track happenings of the usgp as i pull up the recap so on track so at turn 19 specifically T19. T19. Shout out to T19. If you're considering attending an Austin Grand Prix or an event at the Circuit of the Americas in the future, turn 19, if I if I could make this pitch to you. Is a it's actually a pretty good spot to be. Yeah. Uh, you see like a good a fair amount of the track mm-hmm. and you get a good shot of the crowd around you. On if you were there on the Friday, uh-huh. uh, a little bit of action happens there at turn 19. Yes. In which the way that that turn is so, so deceiving, um, it caught a few of our drivers, Fernando Alonso and two Haas drivers, off guard enough to to slide off the track and, you know. Right into the gravel pit, but not into yeah. the uh, barrier. So, you know, wasn't too bad. But yeah, it could have been bad. But, you know, for our viewing pleasure, but it's it's fine. Yeah, Kate, I mean, I don't feel like I'm alone in this, but watching a Grand Prix at home versus in person, two very different viewing experiences. Yeah, I think very much so, especially especially after we have gone to a couple sporting events over the past few months. Mm-hmm. You know, we're, we're seated in a, a fashion where we can see all the action at once. Yeah. It's so different when it comes to racing and driving. Yeah. It's weird that you have a limited view, limited information versus like you're so used to those drone shots and that helicopter and all the commentators being right in your ears. It's it's weird. Well, and it was weird. I mean, it's it's strange to essentially have like one really consistent view of a GP because if you're watching it televised like you're always going to be cutting between different things. So number one, you don't get a static, like this is what the race looks like from this perspective all the time, as well as, so there are screens at circuit of the Americas yes, upon which they are displaying what I guess is the regular world feed, like that you would see if you're watching like on F1 TV or whatever, but strangely, well, two things I found strange about it. Number one, I'm going to be honest. I just expected the screen to be bigger. Like we were in Texas yeah, and it was kind of weirdly small and we were really far away from it. And I have been living my most 1800s life. And so not wearing my contacts. <laughs> so I just could not read the, the sidebar where they had the driver order. Like I would squint and I could like mostly tell who was who, but there would be like driver names where their initials looked similar too similar and I was like I just can't tell who is right. in what order right and I will also point out the aspect ratio of the screen was wrong right so the 20th driver was cut off the whole time there was only 19 drivers in our view because 
yeah the screen was just the wrong shape which I was also like feels like kind of a large oversight for a circuit that literally only hosts racing but sure yeah I there was like a six-year-old kid who had some binoculars bias and I was (laughs) very tempted to ask his parents if I could borrow them Uh because all of us on the this podcast are not gifted with the beauty of 2020 vision sight Mm -hmm. and so all of us, it was a true guessing game as to not only who was on screen, but even as the drivers were driving by, because you don't realize it until you're there, that numbers being legible on the side of a speeding car is the only way you're going to be able to tell the difference between two drivers on the track. Yeah, so uh, 100%. Yeah, so many of the cars feature numbers prominently displayed in either light text on a dark background or dark text on a light background. On light background. But um, a couple a couple teams made the unique decision to display a mid-tone color, or even worse, a mid-tone color outline on a mid-tone patterned background, which yes. made it tantamount to impossible to read the numbers even when the cars were moving slowly, let alone when they're going race pace past you. So like we eventually got to a point where we could guess with probably 85% accuracy, which Mercedes was passing us at any given time. Right. Not for the life of me. Did I have any idea which Alpine was passing ever? Or Alfa Romeo. (laughs) Yeah, no, I, if it weren't for the fact that during the race, Max and Lewis, we had Lewis fans around us, uh-huh. or Max we had fans. Uh, Max fans around us. Um, I truly don't think I would have been able to tell Lewis and Valtteri apart, mm-hmm. simply because both Lewis and Valtteri were chasing Red Bulls at one point, mm-hmm. and there was just it was a lot, and and you really want to cheer. So I, I think it kind of just boiled down to you should cheer everyone. Yeah. <laughs> um, when, <laughs> when you're there. <laughs> well, what we should have done, we should have, I, it would have been, I think hilarious if we'd gotten old timey, like lunettes to see, Ooh. to yes. see the cars with, you know, I think that that would have made us really popular <laughs> in our viewing section of yeah. just like, I think you know, little opera time. glasses. <laughs> <laughs> Yes. Sorry, I'm a cultured Formula One fan, actually. So yeah. I'm going to yeah. use these so tiny sorry. opera glasses. Sorry. To, uh, I'm, to I'm honoring the 70-year tradition here. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Thank you. Um, <laughs> one other point about the le- uh, amount of information you have available to you when you're watching an F1 race in person that I thought was weird was you're watching what seems to be the world feed from F1. However... When you're watching a race like or like watching a race from the comfort of your own home, there's all sorts of information that they put on the screen for you to right. tell you things. Like they tell you the interval time gaps between cars or the time to the leader. Or, you know, they they'll do if they're showing you two drivers who are chasing one another on a driver who's trying to overtake, they'll show you in that moment, like how far they're getting apart. They'll show you like the overtake difficulty as projected by, you know, this algorithm that's sponsored by Amazon web services or whatever. There's like all of these things they show you, or they'll show you an onboard, a driver onboard and like uh, captions of radio calls, like all of these things, all of this additional information and weirdly, you get absolutely none of that trackside at a race. All you get is the order, the running order, and then the feed of whatever they're showing on the TV. But you don't get any of those additional graphics with information. So if the commentators aren't discussing like the one thing that you're trying to figure out, you have no way to figure it out. Like you can see that maybe like the Ferraris are still ahead of the McLarens. But if they're not right. driving past your turn and they're not on the screen and the commentators aren't discussing them, you have no idea how far apart those cars are or are not. Right. Which was right. so strange and, to me. Yeah. And as much as we sang turn 19's praises uh, in, in less than a five minute time span, we're going to talk about how. So turn 19, we get to see the the first 
turn one right after the pit straight as as the drivers you know kick off the race right and then they kind of go down in this turn and this the elevate the hill you get to see them drive down and then they just kind of disappear for a while for like 45 seconds at least and then and then you see them make the turn 18 and come down to turn 19 and over out to turn 20 and down back to the pit straight right so that lack of information that we can't see on the screen makes sort of the the highs and the lows of the viewing experience when you're in person because you get all excited and then you're quiet for a bit and then you get all excited again <laughs> and then you turn your head and they're gone. So it's just kind of like <laughs> a weird, weird experience because you're missing such such crucial information. Yeah. Yeah. It was it was strange for sure. The one last thing I was going to say, it was very weird to be accustomed to it. And then plus, I I think because you're lacking information throughout the in-person viewing experience, you're so hungry to hear what's happening, to understand. For me, it made the race go by so quickly. Yeah. Because I felt like we were so limited in the information that we received that by the time we got it, it was already old news. And so we were mm-hmm. just con- like in this continuous like chasing information and then it almost ended too too fast for us and maybe it was because we were just a little too excited and we were really invested in that lewis hamilton max verstappen will they won't they kind of situation Mm -hmm. but it it just it definitely made me feel like i didn't have enough it like went by too quickly it's like a very it, it was a little blink and you miss it for me yeah yeah i mean i just i think it informs if the next time that we go to an in person gp like I might choose one at a different kind of circuit or something or like a different sure. just just to see, you know, Circuit of the Americas being a purpose-built racetrack. I imagine the in-person viewing experience is really different than if you're at like a street circuit or if you're at a circuit that uses a combination of like purpose-built track and and streets or something like that. So, yeah, it makes me think that I would maybe next time want to try see a different type of circuit and see if there's different, you know, sort of shortcomings, if there's different, like give and take of what you see and what you don't see and which parts are good and which parts aren't good. So yeah, I'd be fascinated to see that. But the other thing it makes me think of is I, (laughs) I think I would want to go to a different GP, maybe not in America next time because (laughs) the, special America helmets are uh-huh. so just astonishingly ugly that I just <laughs> can't take it. I can't take okay, it. So- <laughs> the the whole aesthetic, so many drivers did special helmets yeah. for this race. Yeah. And they were all so like, if you're not aware- okay, it's America themed. And so then uh-huh. apparently the next thought in their mind is like, ah, dirty and shitty looking american yeah so if you're not aware um drivers from uh, i think it's four times in a season right kate yeah i think so there's a certain number of times i think it's four now they have like for a while they didn't have regulations which i also think like i want more but i want everyone to have a new helmet every weekend right right like who gives a shit why does there have to be a regulation about that (laughs) Right. So four times in a season, the drivers are allowed to switch up the design of their helmet and do kind of a specialty helmet. And there are various different times a driver will do it. Sometimes it's for, a you know, a team celebration. Sometimes it's a personal reason. Sometimes it's because they're in America and they can act like cowboys. <laughs> um, so so over the course of the, the race weekend, so like from Wednesday onwards, mm-hmm. Wednesday, Wednesday, Thursday onwards, mm-hmm. on social media, the drivers and teams were posting about the new driver helmet designs that all all the drivers decided that they wanted to to really lean into americana Uh and one thing there's only one of them that i personally liked but one thing that became abundantly clear was that all of them freaking want to be cowboys (laughs) i mean between the cowboy hats the boots and the helmet kind of designs like it's all rustic dirty sheriff in town american tumbleweed in the background kind of deal it was just (laughs) it was was as though the only context they have for what america is is every film that clint eastwood has ever made (laughs) 
and that's it. Like why we got, I, it will never stop confusing me that George Russell's helmet design was like shitty fake wood effect with like a fucking uh-huh. wild west sheriff star on the top i was like yes. sir yeah <laughs> what kind of midwestern grandpa concept of texas do you have like the only helmet yeah, that I'm- was the only like special race helmet <laughs> that looked good in my opinion was yuki sonoda's and that's because his wasn't oh. even america themed Oh yeah, it was Christian Girl Autumn. Yeah, it was, it was for, for the Japanese. Japan, right? It was supposed to be for the Japanese GP, and it had fall, leaves and it had these it. beautiful fall like Japanese maple leaves, and it was like a beautiful <laughs> like <laughs> matte finish. It was gorgeous because it wasn't America themed. Yeah, and then we had <laughs> we had like American flag that's been left in the yard for. 10 years from Lando Russell, which also kind of looks like like the Puerto Lando, Rican flag. Sorry, Lando, <laughs> Lando Norris. Is that what you... Did you say Lando Russell? Oh, I didn't. Lando Norris. <laughs> you did. Oh, I'm just making up new drivers, actually. You've seen one and you've seen them all. You know what I mean? Um, no, I... I my, my only one that I liked, and I think it's really leading into the uh, quite a theme that has uh, developed over the season, was Valtteri Botas's True. helmet. Valtteri's, Valtteri's was cute because he his take on America wasn't actively dirty. No, it was bumper stickers, which I feel like, if anything, road tripping's kind of an Americana kind of thing. Well, like, it was based off of there's a mural. Austin, Austin, Texas is a town with many a mural. Mm. on the side of a building and his was based off of a fairly famous austin mural that looks similar uses similar colors etc cetera, etc cetera. so like his was fine like it's that's that kind of americana aesthetic is not really one that resonates so much with me but like his at least you know looked clean which i like danny's okay the, nice the earnhardt the Earnhardt tribute. I'm, oh, okay, okay, okay. Sorry, I was in my mind. It was confusing. Daniel Russell, George Russell's. Uh, <laughs> Every driver is George Russell, Russell. Actually, <laughs> all roads lead to George Russell. Uh, now, da- Danny's is cool too. All I say to you, Lando Russell, George Norris, uh-huh. or Joris, as we call him. Make it, make it right. Yeah. Next time they come to America, it like at least. If they're going to do that in Texas, I need them to go full Miami Vice for Miami. Oh, yeah. Like, I yeah. want, I'm ready for, like, the pastel neon, oh. like. If one of the drivers could could grow out a, like, Tom Selleck stash. A hundred percent. For the Miami GP next year. I need the white suit. I need the Miami <laughs> Vice suit. Like, I need the, the short stash. Shorts. I need it all. Minus maybe uh, like the cocaine popped collar. We can go without that, but but yeah, I man, headwear was like a big theme over the weekend though, because like let me tell you, these they drivers love nothing more than wearing a cowboy hat for no reason. Like Daniel Ricardo, if you saw on if you follow F one on any social media, you'll see that like Daniel went all in on a on a literally a costume. He was wearing a cowboy hat. He was wearing a Longhorns like jersey. He was wearing jeans with like a big ass belt buckle and some cowboy boots. And he was also speaking uh, in an accent. So like he really went in, but he is not, not even close to the only driver who was rocking a cowboy hat throughout the weekend. Esteban Ocon had a cowboy hat. Mitch, uh, or uh, oh my god. Nicholas Latifi. <laughs> oh my god, yeah, Nick Latifi. Were you about to say Mitch McConnell? No, I was gonna say I was trying to come up with Mick Schumacher. This spooky themed driver name list that F1 posted today or yesterday as like a Halloween thing has broken my mind. And I can't remember oh anybody's name anymore because it's like oh god. But yeah, Mick Schumacher had a cowboy hat. Uh somebody Don't forget about George. Well, yeah, George had a cowboy hat. Nick Latifi. Yeah, Nick Latifi had a cowboy hat. But yeah, like the driver's parade. Alex Albon. <laughs> yeah, it was just, you know, there's a lot of there's a lot of interesting headgear this weekend in general. 
Lots of head care chat. We love a little fashion review moment. But I'm itching to hear about your on-track review moments, ladies. Give it to me. Some actual driving things that occurred. I have only one thing really from qualifying that I particularly want to talk about. Please do. So qualifying was actually, in my opinion, I actually had a little bit more fun watching quali in person than watching the race. Mm. But that being said, there's not a lot newsworthy per se that happened in quali other than we saw the return of Yuki Sonoda to Q3, which was the first time in quite some time that he has been that far up the running order which was interesting and which was good to see. And it was the second race in a row that he's really done quite well. And I found out something in the days since the GP, which is Uh that possibly or probably part of the reason that Yuki has had a recent improvement in performance is that he is being coached by none other than Alex Albon right now. That just does something for me. Yeah. Like, Oh, I just love Alex Albon so much. I'm getting much. a little teary. That makes me really happy, actually. I think Alex, oh, he's such a, like, just such a fucking nice boy. God. <laughs> Alex is just such a gem. Yeah. And he knows the Red Bull Alphatari world mm-hmm. really, really, really well. And he's a really great driver. <laughs> So it's it makes me happy to hear that he's been coaching Yuki Sonoda in his rookie season. Yes. But yes, I just thought that was nice. I was glad to see Yuki performing well. And it's very sweet to know that Alex is, is behind some of that success. So that's really the only thing from Quali I wanted to talk about. Otherwise, the race in general. If you it like for Max fans, great race spectacular yeah i mean for for everyone who was sitting in our section four of turn 19 this race was for them yeah we were the only lh gals in our row um that were nail biting down to the last moment um hoping that lewis would be able to pull it off but good race to max i mean he's fast yeah like seeing him in person you're just like Holy shit. Mm -hmm. Yeah. This was an interesting, well, like what was interesting about this race in that it made the race less interesting to watch. And I don't think I've noticed this in past USGPs, but maybe I just wasn't paying attention is this race generated really long gaps between most of the drivers. Yeah. Like a very, very long gap between Max and Lewis finishing one and two and then, like, right. even Checo in third. And then, like, from that, again, long gap till fourth, long gap. So that, it was weird to watch in person because I think in TV you see, like, the three or four or, you know, even seven plus second gaps start to develop between cars in some races. And contextually, there's still enough things that they're showing you that you don't really notice right. Right. how weird that is. And I will say being in person being able to count eight seconds going by from like Lewis Hamilton passes you until Checo who's in P3 is a long time. Yeah. Where you're just like, Oh, so his car's nowhere near the next car. Like, yeah, they are not close together. There's no risk of an overtake here. Like the only thing that could happen that would change the dynamics of this race was like, if somebody crashed or if they're yet to do a pit stop and they have a catastrophically slow pit. Right. Right. I think it, it just reminded you, especially of like, I just think back to like last season and, and, you know, Valtteri was in the middle in between Max or Lewis and then Max Mm -hmm. Um, and how Valtteri was like, I was kind of, kind of bored, kind of sitting there, kind of doing my thing, you know, just to collect second place because there was such wide gaps between action. Uh, it makes you, it makes you feel a little bit more for the drivers in that sense because they so desperately want to be competitive. Like they train really, really hard and they work hard to get their position and their placements because they want to show up on a Sunday and give a really great show. Mm-hmm. But uh, you know, being in person just proved to us that like sometimes a really great show is literally just kind of like driving around in a circle and 
just keeping your pace and keeping your position and that's it. And you can imagine how sort of autopilot that must feel and a little bit boring. Well, and that's very much what we saw essentially for Checo and Charles in the USGP yeah. where like they both performed really well. I mean, like Checo got P3, Charles got P4. But the entire, almost the entirety of the race, once they were like three laps in, they were like very much on their own for a lot of it. Other than, of course, you know, during yeah. pit stops, when they're, you know, going through blue flagged traffic, etc. But beyond that, right. very rarely were they really battling for position throughout the race. Yeah. It was a lot of like them just putting in their lap times to remain where they were with like five right. second gaps on either side of them. Right. And I think if, if you know, in this discussion, this is making me think a little bit more <laughs> as to why Fernando Alonso started a little bit of drama uh-huh. in the midfield. <laughs> Fernando was fighting for his <laughs> life in Circuit of the Americas and for why? For what? For for the entertainment. Are you not entertained? <laughs> like the crowd. Like really? Yeah, he, he was, was really he was going full gladiator. He really was. And he like was getting his elbows out against Kimmy. And Kimmy's like, the fuck is happening right now? Kimmy Reckon, it's like, listen, I only have six races left in my contract. <laughs> like I'm just gonna be a little bit aggressive, but it's fine. Like it's my career is basically over at this point. And then Fernando's like, come on, guy, come on, play with me. What's going on? And then like a he, dog that hasn't been taken on enough walks. Right, right. And just then, like chewing on your feet while you're in a Zoom call and you're like, okay, <laughs> Jesus, relax. No. Right. And then there's this moment where it wasn't him. He was, I, Fernando was like, all right, other Alphatari, Geo, Joe, uh, Antonio Giovinazzi. Alpha come Romeo. Me, Wait, come on. Other like, Alpha like, Romeo. Alpha did I say AlphaTauri? You said AlphaTauri, and then I was like, wait, what? But I just got Alpha I, Romeo. I the other myself. Alpha Romeo. Sorry. Sorry. Look at me starting beef. Um, <laughs> like just really wanting to to just just like do something. And that was the only bit of drama. The Canadian the girls, the Canadians were fighting. Um, <laughs> the Canadians were fighting, only, uh, ladies and gentlemen. The Lance Stroll and Nicholas Latifi had a little scuffle. At a turn we couldn't see, so we didn't know. But, you know, in the rewatch, uh, you could see the girlies were fighting and they were just, you know, coming at one another. And then they yelled at the the engineers over the radio to yell at one another. And that was kind of it. Uh huh. Yeah. I mean, like there was it was a pretty low conflict, low interest race in in that capacity in that, like. Fernando, at first, Fernando was providing us great entertainment value. And then fairly early on in the race, he had to retire his car. And then not that long after that, uh, Esteban Ocon also had to retire his car. So on the one hand, great. It solved the problem for us of not being able to tell the Alpines apart because then there were no Alpines. Right. But there wasn't a ton to watch during the race or maybe there was and it was just not at turn 19 and not shown on the tv and not spoken about in a timeline on the commentary where we knew it was happening so you know speaking of on track fighting what was going on with ferrari and mclaren we sort of didn't really hear a lot about them either i want to what what you guys notice ferrari and mclaren did their best to try to bring us a show on sunday mm-hmm. but it it just like didn't happen. I don't yeah. I don't know. Kate, break it down. Well, I mean, late in the race we did so Carlos suffered damage at one point fairly late in the race. And so like towards the end of the race got passed by Daniel. Mm-hmm. So in the final running order, Charles, then Daniel, then Carlos then Lando so ultimately yeah it results in Ferrari still getting I think four more constructors points than McLaren got so keeps Ferrari above McLaren in the constructors but yeah I mean I think that I think the on-track action between Ferrari and McLaren is the one thing that we really missed the most of during yeah being where we were being at turn 19 the way it was covered for those of us who were in person at the race. I mean, we saw for a while they were covering Carlos trying to pass Daniel, 
And then right. we kind of like switched back to like Max Lewis when that became yeah. more of the narrative. And then like they didn't really close the loop on the ending of the Ferrari McLaren thing for that race, like from a commentary perspective. Right. They didn't right. go back to it. Like just the race ended mm-hmm. and then they were like, oh yeah. And then this is how they finished. So yeah. there might have been more spice there that we just didn't see. But, you know, I mean, it's still interesting, I think, how close those teams are in the constructors. It's still very much completely like up for grabs in terms of who secures P3. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, we we are eagerly looking forward to what the next race, you know, is going to be like. And I think it just this whole season has been so silly. What's It's been so all over the place from driver's championship and constructor's championship that we won't know who gets what until the the number the math pans out Mm -hmm. in a few races time so i think my my like superstar of the weekend though has to be checo perez Uh i mean checo perez lost his water i don't really know like his hydration pack disconnected or something happened with his hydration pack during the race in which he in the blistering 90 degree heat was not able to have water at all during the race and had expressed yeah i was basically like physically done by lap 20 of 56 (laughs) and this man pulled out third place and yes there were big gaps in sort of the standings and timings but the fact that checo like every time he pitted he couldn't be like hey guys i'm dehydrated can you give me water like that's that those quick millisecond decisions like he couldn't he just had to continue driving for an hour and a half extremely dehydrated and physically that race was so taxing mm-hmm. and so i i would just say he was my mvp for the the race yeah just the fact that he pulled out third yeah just i mean i would have given up <laughs> just... yeah no it was that was quite the effort from Checo to do that race with no water especially because inside the car it is even hotter than it is just like existing in the stands because the asphalt is hotter and then you're sitting next to a bajillion degree engine and these hot tires so and you're layered up. Yeah. And you're inside of your n- inflammable race suit, which I imagine keeps uh, keeps the juices in. It's too too much. And I f- I'd like to think that Checo Perez is probably very similar to yours truly. Uh-huh. And that he doesn't like to be hot when it doesn't make sense. So. <laughs> it was weird. It was also weird, I think, to the commentary from the the like sky sports feed and then the commentary that we heard i think may have been a bit misleading it made us think like in the stands that lewis had much more of a chance than he did Mm -hmm. and well and it kind of goes back to this lack of information where granted i haven't watched i haven't watched what they were how they were covering the end of the race on that world feed but i would imagine that they probably got one of those Amazon Web Services overtaking forecasting thingies that they were showing that might have given a more accurate concept of whether Lewis was going to be able to get close enough for enough laps to be able to pretend potentially overtake Max at the end of the race. My guess would be if they put one of those up that the answer was no, he was not going to, which in fact (laughs) he didn't. He did really close the gap. He did get very close to Max in the end, but not with nearly enough time to actually achieve an overtake somewhere like Circuit of the Americas that has fairly limited ability for places to overtake. Right. But yeah, I mean, you know, they definitely were playing it up on the trackside commentary that this was going to happen. And in the last three laps of the race, we were going to see this incredible thing and blah, blah, blah. Right. And even up until the last lap, when like, it was still kind of clear that like Lewis was, he was still what, six tenths behind Max or something, eight tenths behind Max. But like we had seen Carlos and Danny be within six tenths for seven laps straight and have nothing happen. So on the one hand, like, yes, it's definitely their job to keep all of the in-person viewers engaged and believing that they're about to see something incredible, even if they kind of know that 
nothing's going to happen. But it did leave me like, then I felt kind of annoyed when the race ended and like Lewis hadn't ever been in a position to really be able to overtake. Cause I was like, okay, well, I just spent the last 40 minutes basically waiting for this thing to happen that you told me was going to happen. And then nothing happened. So I don't know. On the one hand, of course, as a commentator, also, you just have to make your best guess of like, this is how this is going to go and talking, talking it up. And like, that is their job. Right. Right. It was, it was interesting. I will say though, like that was sort of my worst beef with like the commentators for F1 when they were commentating on F1 events. Sure. I will say I have slightly, I have spicier beef with the commentators who were the same two commentators the commentary for when they were discussing the w series yeah so we had the pleasure of being able to experience not one but two w series races when we were in austin um i think with some calendar adjustments it ended up being a double header weekend which is really cool all in all the fact that the racing was happening awesome the placement and the timing that it had on the calendar or in the schedule of the weekend, not so great. That coupled with the commentary, <laughs> double whammy. I was sorely disappointed. And I mean, Kate, all three of us agreed that it was lacking in all areas. So first of all, every day during the calendar, W Series events, the bigger W Series events, were always put after the last F1 event for the day, which of course meant that 90% of the crowd left before the W series event started. So that I just feel like was a uh, not great scheduling on behalf of circuit of the Americas and all, right. you know, all of the different racing levels and types of racing that were involved in that weekend. I'm sure there's a million deals that get made about when various kinds of races can be, but yeah, it was just disappointing if part of the purpose of have W series existing is to bring a bigger audience to that championship. Like maybe right. don't position it after you know that the vast majority of your audience is going to leave. Right. So that was like frustrating in and of itself. The thing that got to me the most though was in the commentary, the commentator seemed incapable of going more than about 35 seconds without referring to the drivers as girls. Mm. It was these girls are doing and wow, look at how hard these girls are working. And right. And that to me was infuriating for a couple of reasons. Number one, you almost never hear the F1 drivers referred to as boys, basically never referred to as men. They are always just referred to as drivers. Right. And I think it's really disappointing that there's no reason to refer to them in a gendered way. And if you're going to refer to them in a gendered way, for whatever reason, then give them the same level of respect as the men right. and refer to them as adults. They are women. Right. They're not girls. They're adult women, many of them with advanced degrees, with lots of you know work history, unrelated to or outside of being W series drivers, arguably many of them are more accomplished than formula one drivers because they've been forced to be extraordinary to even get an opportunity. So Mm -hmm. it knowing that made it particularly frustrating to hear them referred to in that way. Cause it just feels as a woman, myself, the purpose of W series is supposed to make women and girls like children believe that they have the capacity to be whatever they want and that they're not limited by their gender and all of that. And then (laughs) for that to be the message at the same time as you're hearing the official commentary that is, wow, look at these girls. Do you think they know about tire wear? Right. And I was like, yeah, these professional drivers are more than aware of tire wear and how the weather might impact this race. And it's offensive to even suggest that they wouldn't. The drivers of the W series, like the fact that, you know, the commentators were like, we really hope all these young girls and people who are in the crowd who, you know, were always interested in driving, see, see these girls, these drivers, these girls, as they kept referring them to keep seeing these drivers as like, you know, 
role models and things. It, it just made it really apparent that role models, not just for being a driver, all these women that were part of the W series have day jobs or they are like mechanical engineers. They are multifaceted people and they have to do all of this and in order to be part of racing. And so that was kind of really disappointing to see and to hear and to realize. And then to make them, you know, like kind of diminish their standing by calling them girls and belittling them in that way. It's just Jamie Chadwick won the W series championship this year. The second race in Austin was the last race of the championship for this year. It's the second year in a row that she has won the W series championship. And as the race, the second race was coming to a close and it was very clear that she was going to win. She had built quite a gap from herself from the rest of the field. The commentators began discussing, okay, once she wins or because she's going to win, what does this mean for where she might be able to drive as a result of this performance? And I think it's very important to point out, like she was well above the rest of the field. Like she, it was no like competition whether or not she was going to win. And it's been that way for a lot of the races for the W series. Yeah. And so while they were doing that, they were prognosticating, you know, what can she do now as a result of this, of this performance? And they were like, oh yeah, probably she could be in formula two, formula three, which I just think is kind of offensive to be like, okay, this woman who has won two championships is now maybe qualified to drive in formula three as a driver. She's a, she's a Williams test driver for the Williams F1 team. She is a two-time W series champion. And I just think like, (laughs) frankly, I think to suggest that she's quote unquote, only good enough to drive in F3 is also offensive. I think it belittles the entirety of the W series as a form of racing. If you say that even the multi-time champion of this kind of racing is not good enough to be an F2 driver. If the purpose of W series is to elevate women in racing so that one, somebody can eventually get into F1 to suggest that the champion is only good enough for F3 is ridiculous. Yeah. I think the, the feeder model of, of W series certainly has to be tweaked and how it's set up and, and they have like evolved since the first season in 2018. They've definitely evolved, um, you know, in the structure of it and it's, it's still, going to grow and there's room for change but yeah there there are things that need to be called out now to help improve upon later i think when they were discussing the winnings of how much money people mm-hmm. were getting when they were and and we talked about this in formula 1 as well and uh in terms of like your championship standing and how much money you get but in this level of racing f2 F3 W series, that money equates to how much you can put back into the craft in order to improve your car or improve your standings or or develop yourself in mm-hmm. order to move up in those ranks, right? Mm-hmm. It just it, it was it was just weird to hear them discuss the amount of money that these individuals were receiving. And then it's just it it's just skewed and it's just different. Yeah. The for context, yeah, winning the W series championship was half a million dollars, I believe. Yeah. For Jamie Chadwick, $500,000 is what she got for winning that entire championship. How much does F1, how much would Lewis Hamilton get? Around $66 million. Yeah. Yeah. Last place gets around $15 million. Yeah, I logistically, just, there are. Yeah, I mean, it is a shorter season. It's a different structure. They're still also beginning. But like that pay discrepancy is kind of crazy. I just think if they if the assumption is W series is equivalent to, say, Formula three or Formula four, even then that needs to be communicated as part of what W series is, because if they're going to elevate it in this way and make it so visible in a race weekend and say, this is the premier championship for female drivers, then they need to also clarify, this is the level that this 
exists in in relation to Formula One, because otherwise there is no alternative than to look at it and say, this is the female version of Formula One. Right. At which point you're like, okay, cool. So they get the smallest fraction of what even the worst male driver gets. I don't think that women should have to be satisfied with saying just because we're being given a platform, we're thankful and it's great because the reality is it's not enough. It's not enough. It's far too late. Something like there should have been a a more realistic model for women to get into the highest levels of motorsport far before the establishment of the W series. It's great that they're doing something now. It's better than there being nothing, but to have to watch these women be interviewed trackside and speak about this. Cause of course the drivers have to talk about this as though everything's perfect and they're so happy and W series is amazing. You shouldn't speak up. You shouldn't be, yeah. um, you know, pushing back or, or you should just be grateful for yeah. the opportunity. Yeah. That yeah. they should be grateful for the opportunity. And I think by proxy that female fans should be grateful that something like W series even exists and that the right. world of motorsport is throwing us a bone. Right. But that's not good enough, in my opinion. And especially, I think the smallest possible thing that they can do to make progress and make it better is at least get your trackside commentators to refer to the drivers as adults. Yeah. It's the smallest possible thing that we could ask for. And like, yeah, it's it just sucks. It sucks that it's even something that like has to be brought up. Like that's really disappointing. It was really cool to get to see W series in person. And it was really cool to get to meet a driver who participates and meet Naomi Schiff. And I am happy that W series exists, but at the same time, it is, it makes the disappointment of the shortfalls of it. So visible Right when you're there in person And you're trying to listen to a race and all you can think about is how offensive it is the way they're commentating. I I cried at the end of the race in the W series because I think, um, oh God, I think sometimes it's just like you, it, it was just so palpable of like how underestimated these women are. And I think a lot of times I just think like, fuck, dude, women, women are just so cool and can do so many things. The fact that these women are racing drivers and they're mechanical engineers and they're stunt drivers and they have degrees and everything. They work in strategy. Like there's just there's so much more multifaceted. And that's not to say that the Formula One drivers and the people who drive within the other levels of Formula Series racing don't work hard and that they aren't involved in that kind of thing. But nearly every single woman who was part of the W series has a full education, has a full-time job elsewhere, does other things outside of racing. And it just became so aware that they just have to be this and you can't, it's just not enough for them just to want to race and just to want to be a driver. They have to do the rest of it in order to even get the opportunity to do it or to be taken seriously. Yeah, I mean, I'm not articulating this really well. I'm a little bit emotional. Um, it also speaks to like other forms of representation. So like yeah. Lewis Hamilton did has a Lewis Hamilton commission in which Lewis commissioned research to be done about black representation and representation within the world of racing and sport not just racing like drivers themselves but in all the different facets and fields and pieces of the puzzle so to speak that go into the sport of racing and so you know formula has one has this concept of we race as one and representation and making sure that people feel equally represented within the racing community but to have the w series sort of treated like ticking the box in a way for the female representation, it just made it so much more apparent of what like other forms of representation are, you know, the LGBTQIA plus community and representation in racing, Black, Indigenous, people of color representation in racing. There's just so many pieces of it that we just got a slice of what that perspective is like within the W series this past weekend, that there's just so much work to be done here it's mm-hmm. it's not it's not just a, a happy sticker that we're going to place or or a 
checking of a box. Like this is a continuous process in order to make racing a sport truly for all. Yeah. A bit of advice my mom gave me um, when we first started this podcast was to not underestimate women and the audience that we have here for this podcast. And I think it's conversations like this about the W Series and representation and truly creating a diverse and equitable and inclusive community of of fans for Formula One and racing in general Mm -hmm. that we know this is going to be the first of just many things we need to talk about. I think we feel it really important to us to get this conversation started and and you know have a little bit of uncomfortable moments or call people out and make them feel like wait I should be paying a little bit more attention to that because I think that affects me or affects my friends or my family and mm-hmm. feeling like they they have a place where they can feel comfortable to voice this kind of stuff mm-hmm. the thing is like especially in sports in professional sports you're always going to have to take the good with the bad to some degree. Um, you know, professional sports are always something that can be not particularly inclusive or can be exploit exploitative or, you know, I mean, it's something that all types of athletics are navigating in, you know, 2021, 22, 2022 and right. beyond. And I think seeing it live up close in person in Austin for me really helped clarify why we have a space in this community and why there's value and you know why why we wanted to start a podcast in the first place to give a voice to some of these things that aren't necessarily somebody that has a lot of other people speaking on and to try and create a community right. where people can have these opinions and feel like they're being heard and that they're being validated and that you know, they're not the only person who's noticing these things. And right. as much as, you know, we focus on Formula One and a lot of our like week to week coverage doesn't do as much to elevate these kinds of things. It is something that we're watching and that we're tracking. And when there's a time and a space when we need to talk about it and it's something that comes up, we do. And I like that we can do that. And then we can also take the sport sometimes at face value and for what it is and, you know, talk about somebody's hair and how their hair looks that week and talk about, you know, (laughs) the jokes they made on social media. And like, if those were funny or if they fell flat or whatever. So like many things, I think it's something where I'm learning how to enjoy the good parts and figure out what I can do to make the bad parts better. Right. Keep watching the space, you know? Yeah, so steering up. Keep watching the space. I I definitely think that this is this weekend was learning and foundational, but um, uh, it has it brought the three of us closer definitely. But I I truly feel like it had just reignited this passion, and it's made us want to work harder and be better and do more and evolve and grow this space because I think it. We love it so much and it's important to us and we hope it's important to you in a way that you stick with us. And, you know, the season's not over. We have a few more races to cover here, but just know that we're working and we're going alongside of you too. And we'll make it even better in season two. Yeah. Please give us, give us the room to evolve. We want to (laughs) give us space to grow. Remember to fertilize us. Don't overwater us. Yeah, don't over don't overwater us. And also, um, if you've stuck around this long, listening to the full episode of part two of our U.S. Grand Prix experience, DM us and we'll send you some stickers. <laughs> That's true. We will. Let us know. Yeah, yeah. Well, we, as much as we had much uh, constructive criticism and feedback, did have a great time in Austin. A great time at the GP. We had awesome opportunities to meet so many people, talk to so many people, you know, both fans of racing, people involved directly with the racing that we care so much about. So it was a great opportunity for us and one that we were really glad, you know, to have been able to experience and certainly something that we will experience again. 
And we just, you know, we always want to be really transparent about every part of what we're doing. Uh, We will catch you guys in Mexico. Well, we won't be in Mexico, but, you know, I'll be watching from my couch. (laughs) What if if you're like, um, BT Dubs will see you in Mexico City. We're going to the Mexico City. No, absolutely not. I'm too tired. I can't possibly do it. Unfortunately, I will be traveling again, actually, for that weekend, but to a significantly less stressful destination. Yeah. I mean, I I think I think for for the remainder of 2021, I need to keep my F1 in the the earlier part of my day so that I can yeah you know, fit I've it just, in. I've got to have bagels for the rest of F1 because <laughs> I have to source my own food uh, in such a manner as we did at the circuit was just exhausting. Um, too much. But yeah, too we much. will catch but- you guys in the Mexico GP, the first of a triple header. So. You know, no rest for the weary, certainly. But as we round out towards the end of this season, thank you guys for listening. You can follow us on Instagram at Lights Out F1 The Podcast and on TikTok at Lights Out F1 Pod Gals. You can subscribe to us on Spotify or Apple Podcasts. You can leave us a review on Apple Podcasts if you are so inclined. Um, and otherwise, I'm just going to hope that Sophie left all of my funny jokes in the first half of this episode about Kennedy burning down a hospital. Oh my God. Because I thought that was a really funny bit. And I, I talked about it to podcast boyfriends the next day because I thought it was so funny. So the thing here, I'll give you a little secret. If you reference the joke often enough in the episode, I have to keep yeah, it. Yeah. If you do enough callbacks, you can't take it out because then it doesn't make sense. So. It's more work for me, really. Oh, but yeah, we'll we'll catch you guys uh, next week. And until then, rest up. You've been listening to Lights Out.